went out with my stepfather. First time I ever went deer hunting, and I thought that was the cruelest shit that I've ever seen. I was a chef for a long time, so I'd cooked a lot of exotic game, ostrich and rattlesnake and zebra and giraffe, and I mean, all this stuff. We were talking on the phone and sharing our stories with each other, and he's like, holy crap. He's like, dude, you're lucky to be here. You're lucky to be alive. You're lucky not to be incarcerated. We sit down at the dinner table and eat that elk. We talk about that hunt. We talk about that animal. So I remember plucking pheasants for days. And I told myself, who in the hell would ever hunt birds that fly when you have to pluck them to eat them? I had no idea that, no, you could just cut the meat out. There's nothing more fun than taking someone who's never shot a bow and watching them shoot for the first time. And then taking them from shooting the first time to getting them their first bow. I learned so much about people and about myself through every podcast that it's an awesome time to reflect on myself and who I am. Hey, this is Brandon Waddell of Mountain Archery Festival and Wilderness Attitude Podcast. And you're listening to Living Country in the City, baby. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 101 of Living Country in the City. Man, I've got to figure this out now. How am I going to say this? Is it going to be like 101, 102, 103, 101, 102, 103? I guess uh, once you hit the triple digits, these are the decisions you got to make. But for now, welcome to episode 101 of Living Country in the City. Also, if y'all didn't check out episode 100, just a reminder that coming up in hopefully a few weeks, depending on when I can get my crap together, that Living Country in the City will be rebranding. Keep an eye out. For those of y'all that didn't hear, make sure you check out episode 100. I talk about the rebrand and the meaning behind it, but the TLDR version, we're changing to the Wild Initiative. Really excited to be doing this. Going to have some really awesome stuff coming up, so keep an eye out for that. 
But all right, y'all, getting on to today's episode. Today, I'm talking with Brandon Waddell. You guys have heard him on the podcast before with Muley Matt, and you may also recognize him if you listen to the Wilderness Attitude podcast. He is a great guy, has been a really good buddy of mine for well over a year now. He is starting up something really new, really exciting. We also get into talking a little bit about his history and some of the really serious stuff he's gone through in his life. I think y'all will really get a kick out of this episode, so enjoy episode 101 with Brandon Waddell of the Wilderness Attitude Podcast. All right, y'all. Well, here we are, episode 101 of Living Country in the City. Have officially tip the scales over that hundred mark. I still to this day can't believe I made it past episode two. Um, I say that, I don't know, every, every 10 episodes or so, I'm pretty sure, but uh, good to have you back on Mr. Brandon Waddell. I guess technically I was kind of on yours and then co-opted the audio if we're, if I'm being, if we're being honest. Well, I think it was a joint effort. We both climbed to 12,000 feet, put on headphones with Muley Matt and had ourselves a little chat, right? And uh, that was a good time. That was was a good one. That was a lot of fun. That was, uh, I guess for me, that was episode 81. Um, Gosh, so 20 episodes ago to, to the episode. There we go. Good Lord, don't put me on the spot. I didn't do my research to tell you which one it was for me, but I think it was in the, uh, 120s. Oh, there we go. We can, right in there. We can link to it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I had to look it up myself. I feel, you know, back when I was like at 20 episodes, I could tell you, you know, exactly what episode number everyone was. Um, I, yeah, I struggle. I struggle now. I always have to, I always have to look them up on my own website. Look, I'm the same way. Um, I can remember content. I remember the conversations. I can remember what I learned. I can remember a lot of things that, uh, about it, but getting down to what episode number it was, no, I, I can remember who was one through nine off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but once I got to 10, that was over. I, <laughs> I was just so concentrated and just trying to do the best content I could. And, uh, and you know, and I need to build a better website so that I can archive that to where you could just type in a number for me right now. I got to like, scroll through and go to older and older and then older and then older and then older to get all the way back there to figure out who's who it's, it's like dinosaur age stuff. So, yeah, well, you know, I know a guy. (laughs) (laughs) I I know. Yeah. So that we had this conversation a few minutes ago that, um, that there is, uh, there is definitely some website work in my future (laughs) and, uh, We'll see how that shakes out, man. Because you're the man. You're the man on that. Shit. That's your world. Oh yeah, we'll get we'll get that sorted. Do my my own little advertisement here on the podcast. If you're looking for web work for your for your brand, your podcast, your outfitting service, your guide service, your heck, you want a podcast or you want a website for your dog? I will make that for you with no shame. Anyway, so if y'all don't. <laughs> recognize this melodic voice from episode 81 as i said this is mr brandon waddell of the wilderness attitude podcast and something else which we will be talking about um but before we get to all that what i always like to start with is really just a little bit of background about yourself man like uh how did you get started like what got you started in the outdoors in hunting 
Well, I mean, I've only been hunting for about 10 years, uh, but what probably preemptively got me there was, you know, I grew up in rural Colorado and was a boy scout. Right. And, um, so we went camping, fishing, did all our, our stuff in the winter, summer, fall. And, you know, where I live here in Durango, Colorado, we got four seasons and, you know, I, I never really got into hunting early. Uh, when I first went out with my stepfather and uh, my stepbrother, it was the first time I ever went deer hunting. And I thought that was the cruelest that I've ever seen. I mean, like, you know, we shot a deer at like some 200, 300 yards with a rifle when we got up there and it wasn't dead and it was looking at me. And I thought, holy shit, like it breaks my freaking heart. And uh, so, you know, I didn't ever hunt. I didn't hunt ever. I fished like crazy, uh, but I didn't hunt. And then about 10 years ago, um, my nephew, Jacob Gonzalez, and I, when I bought this property that I own, we had lots of big deer here. And he was just like, dude, like you got the mecca of mule deer. I mean, I literally, when I moved in here, this house and property sat here for three years vacant. And so you you should have seen the game trails on Google Earth that came into my property. They'd taken over this property while it sat here for three years. And so we got, he got a tag. I got a couple of friends that got tags. The next thing I know, I realized, holy crap, like I got huge mule deer here. And then it was one of those things where I decided I was going to take my first doe. I got a doe license and I got a doe and um, and I was a chef all my, I was a chef for a long time. So I'd cooked a lot of exotic game and deer and elk and bison and ostrich and rattlesnake and zebra and giraffe. And I mean, all this stuff. And so, um, you know, then when we got, we shot this one deer out here and we grabbed the back straps and started cooking that. And we looked at each other and I was just like, wow, why, am, <laughs> what have I been missing all this time? Right. And so you know, I had a, I had a really dark period in my life through all that. You know, I got out of Boy Scouts and I found dope and girls and rock and roll and, you know, and I went down a dark path for a long time and it wasn't until I was about 30 years old, I got clean again and, um, got myself back together. And then it was, then I began to realize what mother nature was, it was right here all along. And so after that event, getting that dough and eating that, it and then it was um, just a few weeks later that a good friend of mine, Tommy Romero, let me shoot his bow. Now, I grew up shooting bows in Boy Scouts, right? You remember the plastic fiberglass, red, green, blue bows, right? And mm-hmm. I never paid much attention to that shit when I was younger because it was like, yeah, whatever, I couldn't hit anything. <laughs> I was a good marksman with a 22 and a 17 when I was younger, but a bow wasn't my gig. But I shot Tommy's bow one day and I was just like, holy cow like that was amazing like i i i'd finally found something to let's this is kind of the story i tell so i finally found something that replaced doing triple digits on my harley where i had to really pay attention i had to really focus on what i was doing like there used to only be two places in the world that the world turned off for me and that was one riding my harley or riding my wife and <laughs> Quickly, it became when I pull a bow up and I'm focusing on that target with my pin, the whole world can spin and I don't even know it's spinning. Like I'm so focused and engaged 
and it's so therapeutic that, that that became a new thing for me. And with that came a whole new level of hunting. And, and there was a lot of learning curve there because I, I shot my first doe, the 243 on my property. And then that was it. I was, I didn't shoot anything with a rifle after that, um, until just last year. Um, but I was surrounded by some great people, Dennis Howell, Lou Webb, Tommy Romero, my cousin, Jacob Gonzalez, and they taught me how to hunt and they taught me, they really flattened the learning curve for me. And so I don't know if that's a long story short, I'm sure you've had others that are longer (laughs) or shorter, but, uh, for me, that's just kind of where it came. And then, you know, um, four years of hunting elk and, and deer. I mean, I hunted the same deer here on my property for three years before I got it, um, with my bow. And it took me four years to get my first uh, elk. And then, you know, I've gotten four elk since then. In the last two years, I haven't gotten any, but, um, but now I've moved on to my children. Like now I live vicariously through them. I'd love to hunt. I go out and I give it my best, but when it doesn't work out, I know that I still get to go hunt with my kids. And that's just, that's the most, you know, helping friends and helping kids bag is awesome. So that's my story. That's how I got into hunting. Yep. Well, man, it's one of those things to where like I can, I can especially see you having a passion for, for helping these kids. Cause like you talked about, you know, you went through some, some serious, you know, when you were younger. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, I mean, like what, what age would you say you were 14, 16, 18? I'll tell you what. By the time I was 15, I was doing dope. By the time I was 16, man, I was driving. And then by the time I was 17, I was dealing drugs. And by the time I was 21, I was moving quantity and doing stupid shit off the border and uh, moving hard drugs, pot. Didn't matter, man. I was like, I was running. I was running with the devil, best way to put it. Um, so, you know, I was 15 years I lived kind of in what I call the dark side. And, uh, and I had kids at that point in time too, which is absolutely insane. Um, to think that I was a father at that point, cause I was not, I was not capable or responsible enough to be doing that at the point in time. But, um, you know, here I am nine years or many years later, nine kids later, I have nine children. Uh, my oldest and youngest are adopted and, um, nothing fills my heart more than watching them succeed, uh, especially within something I'm passionate about. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, to get, to have a bunch of archery shooters out there and, and even some rifle hunters and different things. I mean, it's, it's, oh, I mean, I'm getting the chills right now. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> the life that I lived and that I came out of it. I mean, I was looking at multiple prison sentences. I was looking, I mean, I did a lot of rotten shit to people. Um, you know, and like I mentioned to you earlier, I'm kind of in a three segment podcast with, with another podcaster that's really digging into my life. And, um, and that you we'll, can, we'll get that out there at some point. You can, you can name them if oh, you yes. want, if you want, okay. I don't mind. <laughs> yes. So, so Brandon and Kent with, uh, make it happen outdoors. Um, you know, they, uh, uh, I heard Brandon's story on a podcast and I reached out to him and was talking to him about how vulnerable and how open he was on that podcast. And, um, 
a few months went by and then he asked me, he says, has anybody ever podcasted your life? Cause we had, I was trucking across the country with a new truck I got down in Atlanta, Georgia. And we were talking on the phone and sharing our stories with each other. And he's like, Holy crap. He's like, dude, like, um, you're lucky to be here. You're lucky to be alive. You're lucky not to be incarcerated. You're lucky. You're so blessed your life right now and all that you have and how, how you do that. And, um, so he decided that we would really dive into my life and, and we're four hours into what might be six or eight hours worth of, of my life, because realistically, um, I should write a book and I would need my wife to write the book because there's a lot of hazy details in there. Um, but my <laughs> wife has known me my me and my wife have known each other 32 years. We've only been married 13, but, um, she's known me all that time and I would need her to help, help me write the book for sure. But anyway, maybe at some point we can share that across our podcasts where that podcast is at. Um, I'm really anxious about that, Sam. Um, I'm really anxious about sharing some of that stuff in my life. Um, uh, but I can tell you that where I'm at in my life right now, I'm super excited about, I am overwhelmed with anxiety and work and a lot of different things. But, um, you know, all those things led me to right here right now today, you know, even being here with you on this podcast and our relationship that we've built over the last couple of years. Right. Yep. Um, it's all, it's all coming full circle. Well, I mean, it's, it gives you such a unique perspective too. Like when you, as a dad, you know, you look at your kids and you understand where they could be at right now you know you look at where they're at versus where you were at at that time and um i mean that's gotta yeah. scare you a little bit and make you pretty dang proud too though you know i'll tell you what scared isn't it uh to be honest uh proud yes um you know like here i am 48 years old and it's like if my kids aren't walking the line like i freak out <laughs> like I mean, not freak out bad, like, but I freak out a little bit. And I look at my wife and my wife is like, Brandon, she's just out an extra hour. It's not like she's running dope on her Harley or doing this or doing that or selling blow to the mayor or like, she's just at, she's just at a kegger. She's fine. She's not even drinking. She'll be home soon. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm freaking out. And she's like, do you know where you were? When you were 18 years old in two months, where were you? And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about where I was. That doesn't matter. I know exactly where I was. That's why I'm freaking out right now. (laughs) The worst part is, is I'm not really sure where I was, but I'm sure I was up and I was on dope and I was doing stupid shit, right? That's all there is to it. So you're going to have to put an explicit simple on this one. Oh man, I've done it. I've done it for a few. I'll probably, we're not too, we're not too bad on this one. Oh man. Who knows, who knows where it'll, where it'll end up though. Um, yeah, I'm just getting started. Right. So, oh yeah, um, you just, just started in on that, uh, Basil Hayden's. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm halfway into a good drink. So, um, but, uh, yeah, Sam, I'm proud of my children. I'm proud of them. Um, I, I, you can't even put it into words how proud someone like me could be coming from the walk of life I lived at their age. Uh, I'm, uh, 
it's a, it's pretty epic. You know, I'm down to, I'm down to four at home. I got one leaving for college and nursing. I got my three boys left. So I'll have six of them out of the house, handful through college. Um, they're all doing really well in their lives. I mean, some of them are dealing with real life, um, marriage, divorce, trying to find who they are, where they're going. But at the same time, they're healthy. They're inspiring. They're, uh, they're good kids. And if you compare them against me, they're golden children. They're like halo wearing robe. God sent children compared to where I was at their ages at this point. So (laughs) I'm blessed to have that. So going from this, this situation of that first shot onto the deer to then, Mm -hmm. you know, to swearing off hunting to then hunting on your property to then bow hunting, all of this stuff. What, you know, this may be a bit of a loaded question, but what would you say um, has been your biggest, I, I guess, flips in your perception of hunting since then? I mean, what uh, other than other than, you know, the obvious of, oh, this is a cruel and horrible thing to do. Um, <laughs> what what would you say has changed has changed the most for you when it comes to hunting? I think for me, going from thinking that it wasn't the right thing to do when I was younger to then taking the initiative to be a part of something bigger. You know, I think the biggest flip for me was, is realizing that, you know, as a grown man with all these kids struggling every day to work my ass off, put food on the table, that I had food, good, clean, organic, amazing food at my fingertips in my backyard that was a huge moment for me to realize that I had been missing this opportunity a lot of my life because I just didn't grow up with a hunting dad and mom. It wasn't until my stepdad and my stepbrother took me out for the first time. And like, it was like complete culture shock, right? It was like, what the hell did you just do that deer? Like that was awful. Um, now I can look back on that and say, my brother was a shitty shot. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> And that's probably why I was so traumatized at that point in time. But, uh, but I think that the biggest transition was just realizing that I could provide for my family, that, that I could make a difference for them. And, and that in the meantime, it made a huge difference for me mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, I realized that it was a piece of me that I had begun to build as a young man in Boy Scouts, um, but then just didn't finish that path. And, um, so it was clear to me that I needed to teach my kids how to grow a garden, how to harvest it, how to, uh, hunt animals and, and put it in your freezer. And I got children that do 4-H as well. And it was easy for me to wrap my mind around doing 4-H and raising animals that we would slaughter and some we would buy back and some we'd sell to other people. Um, but just all of those things combined of just being aware of where of what you're doing and where it's coming from and and how you can manage on your own and um you know and as you've moved even through your um progression and learning to hunt and and establishing some of that um right i mean it's it's amazing how that flip how that switch flipped for me 
Um, but I didn't realize it until I bought this property and it was shown to me on my own land that even then I can go out in the national forest and do it, that I can go out on state land and I can do it, that I can call a buddy who has a bunch of elk in his pasture and get one of my kids, their first cow elk. Like that stuff just didn't resonate with me until I moved into the country, you know, until I got out of the city and got in the country. I just didn't, I, it just didn't click. And, um, I'd say that was the biggest turning point was realizing that I, as a father, a husband could provide for my family through my own work and my own dedication and my own passion that it fed me. It fed me. Like I say, all through all those, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, and then it fed my family at the dinner table. You know, we could talk about that hunt. My kids talk about it. I mean, when we, you know, at this point I have my own meat locker. I was a chef for 15 years. I was a butcher. We do all that stuff ourselves. My kids shoot their meat. They clean it. They pack it out. They process it. They cook it. And when they unwrap it, we have everybody's name on it, where, what year, where it came from. And we talk about it. We sit down at the dinner table and eat that elk. We talk about that hunt. We talk about that animal. We talk about what it means to have all that. And you can just, Man, that's where it was at. I mean, that's a long answer. But that's where it was, you know? It's it's amazing. I, you know, up until it happened for me, like, you talk about it all the time, you know, just in conversations and all. Some people, you know, it's just the cool thing to say. Other people do genuinely mean it, but it's, it's so much more than just a hunt. It's everything that encompasses it. And there's so much that's so satisfying and it's such an amazing ribbon on the package that, that kind of is the final presentation when you sit down with your family. And I remember uh, my javelina that I took in January, I, uh, you know, everyone told me I was crazy for, for skinning and, uh, quartering out a javelina. And I'll tell you what, though, it was fantastic. I made some great jerky from that, but, uh, I took the two, uh, rear quarters and made a, made some barbacoa, uh, from a Jeremiah Dowdy recipe. And I just had, I just had the whole family up, you know, and we were all just sitting around and talking and laughing and, and just enjoying life. And, you know, there's just kind of this moment where I sat back and I just looked at everyone smiling and talking and, you know, I just kind of became a fly on the wall for a second. And I've never felt so satisfied in my life because, you know, that was an animal I went out and I worked yeah. hard for and I shot with my bow and I skinned it and quartered it and brought it home all the way here. And I processed all of that meat myself. And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a little, a little bit easier, uh, easier task than processing an elk for sure. Um, <laughs> well, but imagine, imagine being a caveman and you go out and you kill a dinosaur and you bring it home and feed your clan in the cave. Right. I mean, and you watch them eat, I mean, eat like cavemen and women cause they're starving to death. Right. I mean, they, I don't even know when's the last time they ate. Right. But I mean, it's this huge process for us to do it here in 2019, but imagine then 
I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same characteristics, same DNA, same, same element of principle that we're going out and what is the satisfaction of being a grown man and coming back and watching people eat what you harvest and, and satisfying them in so many ways. Uh, and like you say, sitting back like a fly on the wall and watch them smile, watch them enjoy each other. I mean, imagine what it was like in that cave that night when everybody ate with abundance and the fire was warm. Everybody was there. They were safe. And that, imagine that love and that unity and, and all of that. It's, it's amazing that here we are so many thousands of years later and it's the exact same. It's exactly the same. Just, we get to take pictures of it, put it on social media. We get to, <laughs> you know, drive around our side by side to find some javelina. We get to, you know, do all these things. I mean, life, it's easier than it was then, no doubt. I mean, imagine, imagine we think about ourselves hacking out a goat and thinking about grizzly bears coming to eat us because they could smell the blood from miles and miles and miles away. Well, imagine that you got a hind quarter of God knows what, and you got a T-Rex sniffing your ass, right? <laughs> I mean... Both both are scary, but T Rex run really fast. <laughs> T Rex cover some ground, right? So I don't know. I always think about that kind of stuff when I'm thinking of you know you know the and how good we have it now and um, primitive state, but it's all the same elements of making people happy and fulfilling ourselves. Oh yeah, um, you know and and understanding that hunt, right? Everybody's got a different reason they hunt. Um, for me, it's a lot of different things. It's a lot of mental. It's a lot of physical challenging, mental challenging. Um, but in all honesty, I love I love the hunt, but it's a rare form. But I like I when I actually get to pull that trigger and I get to kill something and know that that I've taken its life and that I'm bringing it home. And it, I mean, it's I don't take it lightly. But at the same time, I'll. I'd be a complete liar if I didn't tell you that there's an element in there where I'm satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. And um, if it's almost like gladiatorish in a way where I, I take a little joy from that death. I take a little sorrow from that death. I take some um, passion home from it. There's a lot of elements there for me. And, uh, and that's a that's a big 180, Sam, versus standing there looking at my stepfather and my stepbrother and watching that deer look me in the eye and and fade away and the tears that came off my face at that point. It's a light year's difference at this point. I mean, there's still sorrow, but I don't cry. <laughs> I don't cry like I did then. But anyway. <laughs> I always wondered, I always wondered. Maybe I got deep there. (laughs) I don't know, man. I always wondered what my reaction would be for the longest time, you know, uh, even before I really, really started getting into hunting. uh, I always considered like, I'm like, could I ever really, I mean, I was a a kid, I shot squirrels and pigeons uh, with my BB gun and stuff. And, um, but I always wondered, you know, like, what is my reaction going to be? Am I going to freak out? Am I going to be able to pull the trigger? Am I going to freak out before? Am I going to freak out after? Am I just, is it not going to phase me? What, what's going to happen? And, right. you know, it's interesting, like, 
it was just, I mean, it was complete and utter shock just over the fact that it finally happened. Cause there was a little bit of build up, uh, build up to it for sure with my story. But, uh, I mean, it was just, there was so much shock. I didn't even have time to, I'm not even sure. I've, I, it's been almost a year and I'm not even sure I've still processed my, <laughs> my feelings about the whole thing, but you know, it's just, it's such a unique situation to each person and where they're at in their life, you know, and it, and it, you know, it changes like, like with you, you know, it'll change from one, one period of your life to another. Um, but you know, every person has gone through different stuff and is in a different spot and the situation's different, the buildup's different, the, you know, it's, it's, I always love hearing that story of somebody's, you know, first harvest and their feelings and, um, and all of that. It's such a, it's such an interesting insight into that person. Cause it gives you a little bit of hint about, uh, of, about where they were, you know, that they don't necessarily always convey in, in a normal conversation. Yeah. And they're all different. Like my first, uh, my first mule deer was total disbelief, right? And my first bull elk was just like, complete empowerment you know that i mean i don't know like i can go back through all of them and like my first bear was complete insanity like it was just it was so fast it was so crazy you know my first turkey just just a week ago it's been nine years hunting a turkey i shot a turkey six years ago and watched a coyote take it from off of i was standing on a cliff and watched a coyote take my turkey and I was pissed off. Uh, but then the turkey I got just a week ago was like, it, I just couldn't believe it finally happened. Like I was in disbelief. Um, but at the same time, I just felt like it's about damn time. What I, I, I must be the world's most rookie turkey hunter ever because it took me so long to get a turkey. I've missed so many turkeys, Sam. I've missed them so many times hunting with a bow. Turkeys are not easy with a bow, but I finally got one. It's crazy, but well-earned, I guess, is the best way to describe that one. I felt like I earned it. Oh, yeah. Just like when I got my first bull, I felt like I earned it. I was empowered. I had beat an elk in his bedroom. I would snuck in his bedroom, and I would beat him at his game. I felt like I'd won a game of chess, right? It's crazy. Anyway. Moving on. Uh, that's Sorry. awesome. I just, I actually just the other, uh, the other day sliced the uh, tail feathers off of a turkey. Um, I was missing my range finder, so I had to estimate, and uh, I estimated a bit far out, and uh, I was so bummed. I was half an inch down. I would have had that sucker. Um, anyway, I digress. That story is up on my Instagram. That's, that's, is that not the craziest shit, though when it comes to turkey? It's like there is no room for error on a turkey. Oh, yeah. With a bow. There's not. I mean, you're basically shooting a grapefruit. Like, <laughs> like. Oh, if that. And that's, opinion. that's like all the meat, all the meat. That's not even vitals. You know, that's right. just like the whole, right. whole of the meat maybe. Um, but yeah, no, turkeys, turkeys are, <laughs> I never in my life, if you told me I'd be, cha- I'd be chasing turkeys like a crazy person, you know, this, this month, like everybody I, I would have looked at you and told you you're crazy. Like I got no interest in turkeys, but honestly, like I've come to realize I'm like, I just, I don't know. Hunting is my life now. It's all I want to do. And it doesn't matter what I'm hunting. Um, 
I mean, I would be just as happy right now to be out with a shotgun chasing uh, ducks. Like I've never been duck hunting, but I'm super stoked to do it for the first time. Uh, did a little bit of upland game while I was in Arizona. I've never, you've never done, you've never done uh, duck hunting, dude. I've no, no, I've never, I've never duck hunted. I've never. So the closest thing I've come to bird hunting is when I was in junior high school. I had a friend of mine who came from South Dakota that I grew up with, and we went up to South Dakota and went pheasant hunting. And they had like this old 66 something station wagon that they like cut the top off of and had like two swivel chairs on it. And, uh, and I didn't even get to shoot and I just went with them and just, they just, they basically bombed these pastures in this old station wagon <laughs> and just, and they don't use dogs or nothing, but they were just like bombing these pastures in the station wagon and birds would fly everywhere. And that was like my first time. And so then when I did that, we get all these pheasants and then we go back and it was like, um, Paul's mom, she wanted them all plucked. <laughs> Every one of them plucked. Okay. So I remember plucking pheasants for days, Sam days. And I told myself who in the hell would ever hunt birds that fly when you have to pluck them to eat them. And so I thought to myself, that's the only way you did it. I thought you only plucked them. I had no idea that, no, you could just cut the meat out <laughs> and just have the meat. No. So I was, I was just, so for so long, I thought to myself, that is the stupidest shit ever. Who would want to go do all that work for like a half a pound of meat? I thought that was the dumbest thing. And so now after doing the podcast the last couple of years and interviewing a bunch of duck hunters and a, a bunch of upland bird hunters, like you're talking about now I'm like, Holy crap. Like I want to go lay in a blind. I want to squawk, squawk, squawk. And I want to jump up and I want to shoot birds out of the sky. Like, well, and then, and then you get into the whole element of these dogs, man. And what an amazing sport with these dogs and what they're capable of doing. And, the genes and what they spend on these dogs and um, and even what they spend on some of these shotguns, Sam, I'm like, I don't know if I need another iron in the fire, but I'm down. So maybe we should go both do it together and like, I'm and, thinking and, yeah. learn and go do this because that, how cool would it be for us both to look at each other? Like, yeah. shot we just shot those birds. Holy crap, Sam, we just did it. Right. Heck cool. Yeah, man. No, I'm super down. I'm thinking we we need to find uh, a little duck trip uh, this year for the two of us. Um, maybe we can maybe we can talk that Mealy Matt guy into coming along too or something. I don't know. He, I don't know. He's kind of annoying sometimes. Oh, good lord! Do we, have to, do we have to? Do we have to take? He look. All he does is hunt mealies. He does not hunt ducks. He'd be <laughs> a virgin at duck hunting too. I bet. That would be honestly like. That would be a pretty funny video. You get like the group of us, like a group of us that are just complete idiots when it comes to duck hunting. Like I'm, I'm, I'll admit I am terrible with a shotgun. I've gotten better at it, but I am just, I just never shot shotguns. I was a rifle guy. I enjoyed shooting pistols. Um, I love shooting my bow. Shotguns never appealed to me. I am the slowest son of a when it comes to drawing up on a shotgun on something like that, I'm like half an hour behind it. <laughs> it's yeah. so bad. Yeah. 
<laughs> you and me both. I mean, that's that's the, that's the tier in order for me. I, I even when I go with my kids to the gun range to sight in the two forty three or this or that to take them deer hunting, I can put a better group together with my bow at a hundred yards than I can with a two forty three rifle. <laughs> um, that is sad. That's sad. And then the next level down is a shotgun. So. So you can just see how bad that'd be. But you know what? Shotgun shells are cheap, Sam. So mm-hmm. we're gonna get we're gonna practice and we're gonna go out there and we're gonna we're gonna get it done. Our guide might not be super impressed, <laughs> but that's not the point. We're there to have fun and be outdoors and podcast in the hut and and look at each other when we finally hit a bird like how an hour later, like behind everybody else or whatever it is it'll be a good time i do find it funny that like i'm not sure if you can see behind me here uh obviously people listening can't uh but i got three ducks up yeah, on the wall right now wall. <laughs> um we're talking about this these are these are actually a donation from a buddy of mine that i went the my buddy kelvin that i went hunting with uh for the elk in uh colorado this year um right he uh he was moving and he was literally selling all his stuff. So he's, he and his wife are going to do some traveling and they're just like, screw it. We're going to sell everything and bounce out, you know? And so I was looking for a new chest freezer. And so, and I also had a bunch of frozen deer in my, in my Yeti. So I, so he had this really nice chest freezer. I'm like, Hey, so, uh, you want to sell me your freezer? He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, gives me a great deal on the freezer. So we go on the elk hunt, we come back, we're unloading, unloading the freezer to put it in my truck. Uh, he's like, oh, you know, I think I'm just going to leave some stuff in here. If you want it, you can keep it. Otherwise, just throw it out. I'm thinking like some frozen pizzas or something like, uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, what's in there? He's like, oh, I think I got about like 14 ducks or something. And like, I'm like, what? <laughs> And he goes through, he's like, yeah, there's some kind of nice rare ones in here and da, 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 da. He's like, so you can have them if you want. And I'm like, uh, okay. So yeah, I got like, I Dude, that's cool. 12 different like ducks and geese, just beautiful, beautiful ducks and geese. I mean, there's golden eyes and boffle heads in there and snow geese and, uh, uh this Canadian goose. That's just ah. all white. It's like this rare kind of color. Uh, normally they're gray but it's just like this all white Canadian uh, on its belly Canadian goose. And, and so I, I was like, well, so I got this literally a freezer full of frozen ducks. And uh, I talked to my taxidermist and I basically traded him half of the ducks to ta- to taxidermy the other half. So he's making a display for a sportsman's warehouse with one half of the ducks. Nice. And I, and so now he's hooking me up with these others. So filling in the room, you know, I'm I'm not too prideful to throw somebody else's ducks on my wall. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, you know, as long as you can, you know, as long as you can own it, that oh, yeah. you know, you got them in a freezer and not, <laughs> and not out of the water with a Labrador. Yeah, exactly. Good. But yeah, so whoever is listening to this podcast, if you are a duck guide or you. You got the hookups on ducks for a couple of newbies here, um, and maybe a, a bearded newbie as well. If uh, we can drag him along, uh, <laughs> I don't he's know. Not, he's not bearded. He's not bearded right now, bro. Oh, he's not. Gosh, he, he, he shaved it up. 
that weirds me out when he does that, man. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so if you are, are willing to take some newbies out, we'll probably record this. We'll do a little podcast. Uh, let, let me know. Shoot me an email. Hit the website. Shoot me an email. Um, hit, me on, hit one of us on Instagram. Otherwise, we'll just have to start drawing names out of a hat, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But uh, okay, so <laughs> you started, you started hunting. You started hunting out here on the property, you know, you, you went after your first year, you switched to archery. Now you got a podcast. What the hell's up with that? Who the heck runs a podcast these days, honestly, other than everyone? <laughs> yeah, pretty much everybody, right? But for me, getting in the podcast, uh, you know, I got a good friend of mine. Uh, my wife's sister has a boyfriend, Mike, and He'd done some podcasts back in the day when it, when podcasts were like completely rare and um, he'd produced a few. And so then we started talking about, you know, how podcasts were kind of coming around and uh, he asked me if I do it and I was like, yeah, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but I have this rare ability to talk to anybody and get information out of people. Um, so we went, we were on a no hunt and we were in this little town. We pulled up, to get some gas, um, uh, and truck and I jumped out and there was this guy that pulled up and he's in camo and it's late afternoon, evening. I mean, it is almost dark. Um, and we were heading into some spots that we'd seen on Google earth and Onyx. And so we were figuring out where we were going to go. And, um, this guy jumps out of the truck and I say, how you doing? And he says, I'm doing good. How are you? And I says, well, we're doing good. I said, we're just getting, we're getting a late start. We were in a spot that didn't do real well. And, um, we found a couple, uh, spikes that had been shot by muzzle loaders and, um, turned those into CPW. And we just felt like all the, all the work we had done in this spot was pretty much ruined by some guys that made some poor choices. Um, so we're looking for some new spots and this is kind of where we're going. And, and he kind of looks at me and says, you know what? He says, uh, my hunt's over. This is my last hunt for the season. Uh, I got in some bulls. Um, I'll tell you what, you got a map? And I said, well, yeah, I got a map. And he says, get your map out. And so over the top of the hood, he says, you know, go here, go here, go here, stay here, camp here, uh, call from here. Uh, there's bulls in these chutes and in these basins. Make the best of it. And so I was just like, are you sure? Like, he's like, look, this is my favorite hunting spot, but I'm done. I told you I'm done for the year. You go in there, make me proud, go get a bull. So we get up in there, we call that night. Sure enough, right where he told us to camp, we're there, bulls everywhere. And, uh, at this point I was trying to get Mike his first archery bull. And the next day we get in some bulls and, uh, I got this bull coming down this ridge pretty hard. And he says to me, uh, I said, go up there and get set. He's going to come around, you know, probably 40, 60 yards above you. Um, I think he's going to end up where he was last night, where he wouldn't come down. He wouldn't move. So go get set for that. And he was just like, nope. Like, what do you mean? No. And he says, you know, this whole podcast thing we've been talking about. And I said, yeah. He says, uh, yeah, you want to do that podcast? And I said, dude, no. Like, I haven't spoke to my wife about it. I'm, I'm busy with my trucking company all these kids, like there's no time. I don't have the money. I don't like, it's just not going to happen. And he's like, Brandon, you have the gift to talk to anybody. You get information out of people that no one wants to tell you. I've known this about you for years. 
it's, this is what we should do. I think you'd be a great interviewer. I think you'd do a great job. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but can you get your ass up the hill and kill that <laughs> bull? Because like, he's coming, he's like 200 yards away from where you need to be. So get up there. He sits down, he opens a cliff bar, looks at me and says, nope, not until you agree to do the podcast. And I'm like, Mike, seriously, get, get up there and shoot this bull and like, let's do this, you know? And he's just like, nope, you gotta, you gotta agree to the podcast. So I look at him and I'm, and I'm like, fine, fine. Well, I don't care. Look, I, I don't give about right now other than getting that bull on the ground and having some success in these woods and, and we get out of here. And he says, you know what? I, he says, I got, I'll give you a year worth of my time and I'll, I'll pay to produce it. You just, you just do your thing. And I was just like, Mike, whatever, just put the freaking cliff bar away and get your fat ass <laughs> up the hill and go shoot that bull. So he, ate all but about the last bite of that cliff bar then tossed it at me and then he took off up the hill and i was calling that bull and raking and going crazy and that bull was up there and he was going bat crazy and i couldn't figure out why he wasn't dead yet so i finally went up there and and then mike tells me well i'm only ranged to 40 yards and he was 60 and i just stood there and blinked at him like that had been good information to know before i sent you up the hill but long story short he kind of calmed me into doing it. I jumped in it. Um, and I've just really come to enjoy it in the beginning. It was a little bit of a twisted arm deal, but I can honestly tell you that I love talking to people. I love getting to know people. I love what I learned from podcasting with people. Um, you know, it's, it's almost a selfish endeavor because I love lifting other people up in the podcast. I love getting their message out. I love, um, hearing people's success and strife and uh and everything they've been through in their life that leads to the outdoors and the wilderness um and how they overcome things and build new attitudes right hence wilderness attitude podcast but it's a selfish endeavor every time because i learn so much about people and about myself through every podcast that it's an awesome time to reflect on myself and who i am and where I'm at in my life uh, with every time I listen to the podcast through making notes or building a, you know, doing a voiceover or, or, or intros or different things. It's a, uh, it's, um, it, it's some of the best medicine of becoming a better man and a, and a better husband and a better father and a better person than I've ever thought of. And that's, that's how I got into podcasting. <laughs> It's amazing how much you end up just through talking with other people in this kind of a context, how much you kind of come to realize about yourself and uh, how much you learn even just apart from the whole, you know, yeah, you're going to, you expect to learn a lot when you're talking to Corey Jacobson about, uh, you know, how to, how to bugle in a giant bull, but you, you really just, I don't know, through these conversations, it just kind of opens your eyes to a, a whole lot about yourself that I think you didn't realize. And um, so talk, uh, tell me a little bit, you know, you kind of touched on a little bit. Tell me a little bit about the name, Wilderness Attitude. What does that mean? 
So wilderness attitude for me came from, you know, when I was a young boy scout, I just felt like the more I was in the wilderness, I had a better spirit. I had a different connection uh, to mother nature, the world, the outdoors. So when I sat down and tried to figure out the name of my podcast, I'd realized that after coming back from such a dark time in my life to being back uh, in touch with the wilderness and being back in touch with uh, hunting and, uh, and just a lot of the meaning there that I had a really good attitude when I was younger and I had, and I was trying to, as I was reconnecting with the wilderness and the outdoors, I realized that it just brought about an attitude change in me every time I disconnected and went outdoors. And so that was when I was out there one day and I was like, you know what, this, it takes me days sometimes. I mean, I run my own company, got all these kids, do all this stuff. Um, for me to go hunting, you know, like when I was talking with Tim Burnett, a solo hunter and doing that interview, it was like, he's like, he's already in the mindset like a week before going into the outdoors. Like he's already there. He's already like in that moment. But for me, there's so much leading up to the minute that I turn my phone off and go on my Garmin that there's so much I'm responsible for. There's so much I'm taking care of to the point of where it takes me days to get into the wilderness attitude, to disconnect, turn my brain off, let my soul absorb, get to the, the time continuum of the wilderness and to get the right attitude of what I think everybody should have a piece of, that everybody should harness at some point over and over and over because it's the, it's the beat of that drum. It's, it's, it's all these things. I mean, it's kind of cliche, but that everybody has instinctively in themselves since the time they were cavemen, right? Like just being in that presence of mother nature and listening and smelling and moving slower and engrossing yourself into what it means to be out there. And so that's kind of where wilderness attitude came from. In a <laughs> it's so true like i don't care who you are you know i mean i you know born and raised in los angeles i mean i always loved the outdoors but like i don't care who you are you can't deny that there's not some sort of calling to be in the outdoors in the wild in whatever that is yeah your calling may not be to hunt but you know everyone feels it like I, you know, people that say that they hate being in the outdoors, all of that stuff. It, I honestly, I think they're full of shit. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, some people might not like being dirty. Some people may not, may have gotten used to having certain amenities, but mm -hmm. I guarantee that those people would, st will still find pleasure and, and fulfillment and joy in even an afternoon, you know, a hike to a waterfall. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at LA, how many, like how stinking popular is it for people to go 
hike uh, these little canyon trails just outside of Los Angeles all around there. It's huge. Like it's uh, it's like Disneyland on some of these trails. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't care who you are. You feel that call. Yeah. I, I mean, even when you look at like New York city and people go for a bike ride in central park or they go to feed the ducks in central park or they go fly a kite in central park, or they may walk through there and get raped in central park. Um, there's uh, a calling to being <laughs> in, and I mean, look, Central Park is a wild place in New York City, is it not? It's yeah. a wild place. It is. Oh, yeah. Um, there's squirrels and swans and they want to chase you and ducks you can feed. And I mean, for some people, that's as wild as it gets, but it's still better. But it, it still has a part of that calling that you're talking about. Oh, right? yeah. And it's just a different level. Like you say, I mean, some people... No, Park Cities is as wild as it's going to ever be. They're never going to be in a tent. They're never going to be in a sleeping bag. They're never going to go fishing. They're not going to touch a slimy fish. They're not going to put a worm on a hook. They're not going to go hunt a deer. They're not going to, you know, but you're right. There's a calling for everybody. And, and man, but you know how many people, Sam, are in that never, ever get to reach even Central Park? as a wild place in their life. Can you oh, imagine yeah. that? I mean, that's a mind, that's a mind blower for me. I was, I remember I was so, I was, I was on my road trip last year, you know, um, when we recorded that episode and, uh, before I, I headed into Colorado, I was, I was in Salt Lake just for the day. And, you know, Salt Lake has so much, so readily available right there. You can practically walk to the base of the mountains, depending on where you are in the city. And I just remember I was chilling in some park. I was waiting to meet up with some friends and go have a beer. And I was just chilling in some park, had my dogs with me. I was kind of taking a nap on the grass and just kind of observing people. And it was, it was the very like, uh, manufactured cement pond. And, you know, all of the vegetation was very, perfectly planned on the edge of said pond and um that whole thing and i just remember that realization to where it's like that's as wild as some people will ever get in their lifetime that's the wilderness for some people like and it it blew me away and it almost made me a little sad like i'm like i was happy that they were outside and and taking part in nature and whatnot but part of it made me a little sad just that they won't experience what I find so much joy in, you know, it's, it blew me away. It was, it was a weird moment, you know, Sam, different strokes for different folks. Right. But I think it, we're losing some of that and I hope it can come around. And I think that through our podcast, that's what we're trying to reach people to test themselves, explore, find some new avenues, reach out there and, uh, you know, and, and try to find some of what mother nature has to offer. I mean, look, I've been outdoors a lot and there's still shit, Sam that I come across and I'm like, Whoa. Like, oh yeah. That's cool. as shit. I've never seen anything like that in my life or I've never smelt that. I've never felt this way. I, you know, there's still so much out there. I mean, the, shoot me and you, Sam, we've, we have no clue. I mean, we, we think we do. But we have no clue, like, the vastness of wild places in the earth that we live on. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know, it's all, it's all a point of perspective. Like, you know, I, I look at these people that are hanging out in the park, feeding the ducks in the, the fake pond. And I, I think like, man, there's just so much that they are missing out on. And then who knows, like somebody like a, you know, a Jim Shockey or some, I mean, just about anyone in the hunting industry at this point looks at me and is like, this dude has never seen like Kodiak Island, has never hunted Africa, has never seen all of these other places. Like this guy's missing out on so much, you know? Um, it's just, yeah, yeah it's, exactly. it's a crazy thing. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it is a crazy thing. So wilderness attitude and raising a family and your trucking business and all of this stuff and hunting is not the only thing you've got going on because you cannot resist taking on another project. You are, we are too much alike. And I just know (laughs) that you cannot say no to a project. Can you? (laughs) Uh, I have in the past, but not something that leads into where my passion resides in my heart today. So why don't you tell me about uh, this new rather large scale project you got going on? Well, so uh, yeah, Mountain Archery Festival. That's what it's called. And, um, you know, uh, what month are we in? So seven, eight months ago, I had someone approach me uh, about helping them do a physical challenge or some aspect on a mountain course 3d archery course deal that he had a project on that he was thinking of doing uh my name was thrown around in a few circles uh for helping do some of this stuff and then it quickly evolved into do you think you could help me do this um mountain archery festival thing and uh help me design courses help run an event this big and uh, i was i was reluctant i came to my wife and said you know um this might be cool. I don't know. He just approached me at the Donnie Vincent premiere and maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. Um, you know, Pope and young had mentioned my name, trained to hunt had mentioned my name, a few things that come across through some avenues of relationships that we have in the industry. And, uh, then it came to me, well, do you think you could do something this big? And I'm like, yeah, that's not a problem. I mean, I fed 2000 people, Spanish paella on the 50 yard line in 1996 in the middle, you know, for the Super Bowl with so, one fish and one loaf of bread or yeah. one. What, yeah, what is it? Sorry. Exactly. Jeez, uh, I'm, I'm screwing yeah. up my Bible references here, but you get the picture. <laughs> yeah. Really. It was like a ton of shrimp, a ton of clams, a bunch of saffron, more rice than you could choke China with. Um, and we made a, an amazing paella. Uh, for all these people. So I wasn't afraid of, of stepping up to that. It didn't seem that tough to entertain, you know, four to 600 people a day, uh, doing something that I'm passionate about being, uh, archery. So, uh, took him up on his offer and we proceeded to start putting some things together. And I said, okay, well, when I sat down with Callie and my wife, we thought, okay, well, if we could move this date, cause that's on her birthday, if we could do this and this, then we'll entertain a little bit more. Well, next thing you know, within a week done, then it's like, okay, well then if this, this, and this will happen, then 
we'll move a little bit more forward. Well, then those things happened. Then we're like, okay, well then if we go to Western Hunt Expo and we can leave there with X amount of sponsorships, then we'll really, really entertain this and we can maybe put it on the map for this year. Well, we went there and we over exceeded our expectations. So at that point we come back and here we are, we're doing mountain archery festival. <laughs> um, in the meantime, my partner who had brought me on to the scene uh, ended up having some medical things happen uh, and some personal issues. And so then before I knew it, uh, the guy that was just supposed to be setting 3d courses and, um, and helping talk to a few sponsors and put some things together on the mountain became the man. Um, <laughs> so quickly I looked at my wife and said, I need your help. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, you know, with the sponsorships we'd picked up and at Western hunt and the relationships that were in balance there, uh, me and my wife felt that we should move forward and really work hard on on putting this together. And so um, we've had we had quite a roller coaster there for a little while, trying to get the venues together that were supposed to have already been there, locked and loaded. Ended up kind of looking at some of this, and and then I kind of had a moment, Sam, where I had to look at myself and realize that that if I was going to move forward within this mountain archery festival, that I really had to examine who I was and what this festival meant to me because it's something I'd thought about. And even Mealy Matt had um, kind of talked about the year before uh, it trying to do something like what we were talking about. Um, we had reached out to total archery challenge to come in our neighborhood. We had tried to work out a few things along those lines, me and Matt both. And, and it just didn't really go anywhere. Uh, and so after looking in the mirror quite a bit and realizing that this is something that there was a challenge, which I'm like you say, I'm never shy to take on a challenge, but at the same time, when I dug a little deeper, I realized that this is something Sam that I, that the way the doors had opened and the way things had progressed, that maybe this was something I really needed to really do. And, and I needed to kind of soul search and heart search a little bit on. So in the process of doing that, I've created what is now Mountain Archery Festival from my heart and soul. So, I mean, I can just keep kind of going here, but you know, the um, Mountain Archery Festival needed to be something that was family fun and available to all skill levels. Um, it needed to have competition. It needed to have a physical element. Uh, when I look back on where I've come in this industry, trained to hunt was a big part of who I am. I've competed a few times. I've trained really hard for multiple years to be a part of that. You know, it wasn't long ago that I was about 40 pounds heavier than I am right now. And between wilderness athlete and trained to hunt, I've changed my life and how I hunt and who I am as a husband, the father and person to myself. Um, so uh, I'd reached out to some of the people uh, within the industry that had made a difference in my life and asked them if they'd be a part of it. And everybody embraced it with open arms. So Mountain Archery Festival is a combination, like I said, of family fun, competitions, some different things. And I can get a little bit more specific on the idea that, um, you know, we have six courses on the mountain. Uh, you ride a chairlift up, shoot down, which obviously Sean and Tack, they, they are the leaders in how this is done. They have per, they're perfecting it every day. 
to think rewriting this would be absurd. You know, when I looked at what they'd done, I thought, you know, there's elements of what they do that I think is extremely successful and things that I need to add to it that are from my heart. So, you know, when we look at the cryptic course, our title sponsor, you know, that's stuff, that's a course where you're shooting, you're shooting stuff that you would never do, Sam. I mean, it's, there's, there's, it's to a point of unethical that it really makes you realize what you are ethically possible, mm-hmm. what capable, right? And so it's a reverse mentality of what you really, what you can do for fun and what you're really capable of. And it really shows you what things that you could practice on and things you could learn. And then uh, the Pope and Young course, which is something that as a early archer of 10 years, I've been a part of Pope and Young now for seven years and uh, Pope and Young is near and dear to my heart. I think that they're what they do and what they stand for as an, as one of the only national archery organizations in the country uh, is something we should support. And so when I began to bring to life the Pope and Young course, uh, you know, I thought about education. I thought about making the animal first. I thought about uh, reaching out to some of the top archers in North America who have completed the top 29 and, and reaching out to them and getting perspectives of their hunts, their shots, uh, and the relationships they've had with these animals. And so in the Pope and Young course, you'll get to go down and shoot this course. You'll get to learn about those animals. You get to learn about their demographic area and who, what they are. What, and, um, and then you get to learn a little bit about one of the archers of the Pope and Young Club that has accomplished the 29 big game. And you're going to try to replicate their shot. So it's kind of cool and educational and it serves back to a purpose of a club that uh that deserves some more recognition in the archery industry uh then my kirsch course is obviously kirsch hunting is the maker of our targets for our course uh for our shoot and they come from austria so they have targets from all around the world so you're going to go shoot some exotics and things that you've never seen before and it's kind of almost a fantasy course. It's, it's kind of cool because you, you'll never shoot one of these animals ever in real life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not possible. And you'll have a really good time um, on a course that's just going to shooting things that you've never shot in a 3D course ever in your life. So it's just super fun. And it's kind of the imaginary side, fantasy side. So, and then our last course is the train to hunt course. Uh, obviously, it has a place in my heart. Uh, I think that uh, physically challenging yourself and mentally challenge yourself within those physical elements uh, is something that everybody should do when they're hunting because there's times in the real world where this stuff is applicable. So uh, we have calisthenics, uh, CrossFit type actions. If you're familiar with trained to hunt that you'll be doing at every uh, station. Uh, If you choose to do so, you don't have to to shoot the course. Um, and then we also have some people there that'll help you do some times shots. So you'll have, uh, I know a 30 second hold and then a shot, or you'll have two shots in 10 seconds. Um, different, different things like that just to kind of test you a little bit. And, um, and that's pretty cool. And then our bottom course is our, uh, initial ascent mountain dude course, uh, which is that you don't need a, a, uh, lift to access but it will be the host of our mountain madness competition. So a lot of everything on the mountain is all for fun. 
but we do have an eight uh, Saturday morning competition where you get to test yourself as a pro shooter or a men's or women's hunter category or men's and women's traditional or a kids category and go out and do your best and shoot a Western style format 3d course. Um, and then the top four of that competition will do a head to head shoot off at the base in front of everybody in the evening, uh, in a four man bracket shoot off to reestablish first through fourth. And, um, if we fill all those spots for that course, there's 150 slots available. doesn't matter how the divisions fill up. Uh, our first place payoff is 500. Second is 175 and third is 75. And then last but not least is our sixth course, which is the kids course. And the kids course is designed for fun, uh, entry level animals, uh, that most kids would be familiar with in shooting, um, at a younger age, fulfilling tags, uh, as first time hunters, um, and is completely free. Uh, we will have bow bows there for newcomers who've never shot, uh, kids that might want to learn. And of course kids can shoot it for free. Like I said, so, um, when you look at the mountain and how I've designed it, there's a little piece of me in every one of these. Um, I love being challenged in a shot like cryptic course. I love watching arrows fly. I like trying to do extreme angles and long shots and aerial targets and moving targets. I think that those are cool things to do. Um, Pope and young is an educational standpoint of a club that has a true passion in my heart. And then who doesn't like to have a little bit of a fantasy world, right? Um, and see new things, try new things, uh, explore themselves a little bit. And then the train to hunt course, obviously there's a passion in my life for being physically fit and hunting and doing your best. I know that that's changed my hunting style in my life. And then with all the kids I have, I want kids to come shoot. So the kids course is free. I want people to learn. I want people to come out and, um, you know, this is, this event has to do with every non hunter as much as it has to do with a target shooter or a 3d shooter or a hunter. Um, if you're not a hunter, please come. If you're an outdoorsman, please come, uh, come pick up a bow, give it your first shot. You know, shooting a bow doesn't mean you have to kill something. Shooting a bow means that you're going to have a good time. You're going to connect with yourself. You're going to get a chance to do something that like I mentioned earlier, where the world can spin without you and you can concentrate and be a part of it. And I think that archery in a whole explains a little bit more of where I'm going in my life. And that's being in the moment and being present. And so when I look at the courses and the mountain in itself, Sam, there's a little bit of piece of every, a little piece of me in every aspect of it. All right. So I'm looking at the website here, mountainarcheryfest.com. Uh, looks like there's going to be three locations. Two are listed right now, correct? Yeah, we have a third one, Taos. Um, we had it open for registration, and then uh, contracts came back, and we had to start some renegotiations. Um, it, it was like everybody was thumbs up, uh, and then everything went sideways. So um, the fourth location is absolutely yet to be determined. Might be another location in Utah. Might be in Wisconsin. Might be another spot in New Mexico. Um, we have a bunch of balls in the air juggling this situation right now. So we'll see where it ends up. Get your hands on those balls. (laughs) Uh, 
Sorry. Hold them uh, tightly. Yeah. Um, so, but we have uh, Purgatory Resort. That is in Durango, correct? Just outside Durango, Colorado. That's where I'm at. Yep. And that's July 12th through 14th, that event, correct? Yeah, and that just and that and that just got moved. It was supposed to be Memorial Weekend. Um, but Purgatory deemed that we just got a ton more snow. And there's so much snow up there, it's insane. Uh, we thought it was going to work out, but we found it unsafe and unusable, so we moved the dates. So a quick thing to shout out about that, Sam, is, is that we did not pick that date. That was the only date that Purgatory had available. So all of you who registered for TAC on the same weekend in Utah, we were definitely not trying to throw anybody under the bus or take anybody away from the event because it's been sold out for seven or eight weeks. Um, also, the Rocky Mountain Elk Calling World Championships is the same weekend. And yes, we do have an elk calling contest at our event. By no means are we trying to compete with Rocky, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's elk calling championships. So <laughs> everybody take all that with a grain of salt. We were handed what we got. We either did the event or we didn't. And so we took the dates. <laughs> and uh, second location, uh, well, I guess, I guess now at this point, it would be the first location <laughs> since the first, dates have changed. Right. Uh, the Brian Head Resort. Where's that located? Brian Head, Utah is just outside of Cedar City and St. George, Utah in the southwestern part of the state. Um, what an amazing venue. Uh, Sam, the base area starts at a little under 10,000 feet. Uh, the top of the lift is just a tad on just around 11,000 feet. It, 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 I went up there to ski it to kind of look at it. And I ended up having to do a little ski skating at the top to catch up <laughs> to one of the guys there. And I like to think that I'm reasonably in good shape, but I can tell you what I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to pass out. Um, that mountain's really high. It's, it's going to be a really cool venue. A super steep. Um, it's going to be super challenging. Uh, but I can tell you that the people at Brian head resort are so stoked to have us. They're rolling out the red carpet. We have live music every day for eight hours. We have the, the amenities there at Brian head are going to be really cool. So come and check it out for sure. That's awesome, man. And then like that third event is Taos, New Mexico. Um, beautiful ski resort, great people killer little village there killer village tons of national uh forest camping on that venue you know we have rooms at all these places we have rv spots tent spots um we just want people to come whatever capacity they want to come in a tent one day three days i got families that are bringing 10 people out spending five grand on a vacation to come out to purgatory and shoot this thing and i got guys that want to sleep in their car because they can't afford to shoot at all unless they do that and um i don't care where you come from what walk of life what your ability is or what you want to do just come passionate ready to shoot and have a kick-ass time because it's going to be a good time awesome man um well as we're kind of winding down here always like to end with uh one uh, one general question it, you know this i tend to my passion is for new hunters people from backgrounds that aren't quite as traditionally you know getting into hunting whether that's from the city or just a family that that doesn't have a lot of experience in hunting and so you know say 
someone decided to come out to the mountain archery challenge or mountain archery fest. And, you know, they're like, this is amazing. This, you know, I, I want to, I want to get into this, you know, maybe they shot a bow for the first time or, or whatever it was. Uh, but they came up to you and said, Hey man, you know, I want to get into the outdoors. I want to get into hunting, but I don't have the background for it. I don't have the experience. There's so much to learn. This is just, maybe it's just not for me. What would you say to that person? I'd say go, you know, if you got your hands on a bow and you got to shoot it and you enjoyed it, then, you know, let's find you a good reputable shop. Let's get you someplace that you can get set up. Maybe you get into an archery league, do a little paper shooting with your husband, your wife, your kids, and just make it a family affair. Just have fun. Um, that's what this festival is all about is just getting everybody there to have a great time, no matter the skill level, uh, no matter the interest in where they're at as a hunter, non-hunter wanting to hunt. For me, this is a great venue for you to come introduce yourself to the amazing people, the culture and the opportunity that's there in front of you. But, you know, for people that come up to me with that, I just take them underneath my wing and I walk them through the process. I get them out, get them involved, get them shooting. And, you know, there's, there's so many people in this industry and in this lifestyle that are readily available to reach out and help you and be a part of it. And so you just got to guide them in the right way, get them located, get them to some people they need to get in touch with, get some, you know, there's, there's nothing more fun, Sam, than taking someone who's never shot a bow and watching them shoot for the first time. And then taking them from shooting the first time to getting them their first bow, right? Helping them, helping them through that process and getting them to the position where they're confident, they're having fun, and they're just enjoying what they're doing. And there's no it's, it's awesome. It's like watching, it's like watching one of my kids walk for the first time or talk for the first time. It's the same experience over for me watching that go down. And it's a blessing to be a part of. So, um, I just tell him, come with me, (laughs) come (laughs) with me. Brandon's going to show you how Brandon's going to get you, get the people to do it with you and, and help teach you. And, um, you know, I only hope that at one of these events, Sam, that someone walks up to me and they're like, what are you doing here? Like, what's going on? Like, and I'd just be like, well, let me show you. Come on over here. Come over here. Pick up this trad bow. Look, let's just shoot some arrows at this target. We're only standing five feet from it. That's cool, right? You know, and, and just take them and walk them through the process of of what archery is about and what it means to be engaged with that bow and arrow in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it's almost like leading back to S3DA, right? I mean, they grab these kids, they put them in a bow, they put them on paper, they get them shooting paper, they get them doing it really well, they get them into targets, they get them in 3D, they get them outdoor, and before you know it, they're transitioning them into hunting and even into college, you know, uh, tuition to get them into shooting in college. And it's just, what an amazing program and to be able to walk them through that and, that's just kind of the same mentality I have. That's awesome, man. Well, hopefully uh, this will get a little bit of the word out about Mountain Archery Fest a little bit more. Thanks so much for taking the time to hop on today, man. It was good talking with you again. Dude, we've been putting this in the works for a little while. I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening and getting me on. I mean, it's always uh, humbling to be on someone else's podcast. 
it really is. It's a, uh, it's truly a pleasure and, and really reminds you of what it's like to be on this side of the microphone and to just that gratefulness I have. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. And duck hunt soon. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and even before duck hunting, I got to hold you to the fire here a little bit, Sam. So which event are you coming to for Mountain Archery Festival? Because I need to sell a celebrity oh, shoot. And, and may, there, there could be some, there could be some, some people that want to shoot with you. So can you commit yet? Oh man. Um, it's uh, as long as you promise to play the Benny Hill theme music. Anytime I shoot, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking it would have to be the purgatory event. I don't think I would be able to get it together in time for Brian head. Um, I'd have to look. I don't know if I'm feeling frisky. I might just have to do both because so here's well, the thing I am. I'm going, I'm going out to the, uh, uh, the professional media outdoor media association, uh, event. Oh, uh, right. I've um, never been to that. I want to go to that someday. It's, uh, I'm going this year. Finally, I've been, I've been had a lot of people telling me and I've got a couple of buddies that are going this year and they both offered to bring me as a guest. And the conference is, I want to say at the end of June, let me look up the dates right here. But yeah, uh, no, that's all good. But I'll tell you what, um, I would love to have you. And if you made it to the purgatory event, obviously that's in my backyard and you know, you're always welcome here. Um, so let's see what we can put together there. And then, you know um, what? I think that we might want to talk. It's June 18th through the 20th. So I may have to also do the Brian. I may have to do both of them. I may just have to come out and hang out with you for both of them. <laughs> Well, I would love to have you and I think that we could have some, we could have a lot of fun podcasting while we ride the lift. I mean, we might just get on the lift with a six pack of beer and just ride podcast with each other. That'd be just fun. Just do right? circles on the lift. So, <laughs> I'm super yeah. down, but, oh, all righty, man. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 101 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all head on over to the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 101. Check out links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Make sure y'all head on over to mountainarcherifest.com. Check out this awesome new event that Brandon's putting together. I'm hoping to make it out there. Really excited to see how it turns out and wish him the best of luck with putting this together. Make sure y'all check out my support page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash support. Become part of the Living Country in the City team. Also, make sure to check out iSocialBoost if you're looking to build up your Instagram following or your brand. I can attest it is absolutely worth it. Make sure you use code COUNTRY to get 80% off your first week. That's how confident they are in this program. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com.